Hello， 子枫 ，Welcome Hello. to podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and uh, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining the podcast and sharing your experience and research with us on China, China studies, Africana studies, and feminism studies.、Uh, we're very grateful, and、uh, our audience. Does、uh, don't know you yet, so I'm just gonna quickly go over. Well, you and I are really good friends, going way back when we were, you know, at, when I was at Columbia.、Um, you're right now a final year candidate, PhD candidate、uh, in Africana Studies at Cornell,、um, and you study Black transnationalism, internationalism, and Black feminism and anti-colonial thought,、um, and Correct me if I'm wrong.、Uh, is your dissertation, which is、uh, coming up next year, I guess you're gonna finish.、Uh, is it still the、uh, redrawing the balance of power, black left feminist, Mao's China, and the making of an Afro-Asian political imaginary? Yeah, that's still、uh, my dissertation project. That sounds really cool.、Um, Thank and- you. On the, I'm I'm reading your bio now on the website at Cornell,、uh, <laughs> and you are examining the feminist interchanges and collaborations between the African American freedom struggle and the Chinese socialist construction of modernity from 1949 through 1978,、um, and you are、uh, really well published.、Um, In all sorts of academic journals, and also in a lot of Chinese state media,、um, and、uh, like including Sina、uh, News,、uh, including Bloomberg News in China,、um, and we're really happy that you're here.、Um, and as we know, this month is a、uh, woman Women's Month, or、uh, what do you call? Well, Women's in, History Month in the U.S. History Month, yes, in U.S. should be in the world. I think、um, in two days is, of course, San Bafunjie is Women's Day. So we'd love to hear more about your studies.、Um, and uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your research topics, and particularly, like, why did you get interested in this? And、uh, I I think a lot of people are really new to to either topic like black feminism and and like China socialists and these are big words.、Um, so can you tell us a little bit more? Sure. Yes. So、um, still, thank you so much for having me here, and it's、uh, always a pleasure to、uh, be in conversation with you.、Um, and the、um, I guess、uh, bio、um, on、uh, the website、um, of my department, Africana Studies、mm-hmm. and Research Center at Cornell. You know, it's、um, uh, meant to be a kind of a,、um, promotional thing, <laughs> right? I mean,、um, that is,、um, you know, something that I need to have、um, when I、uh, need a job in American academia. So、mm-hmm. yeah, so it's、uh, definitely、uh, a kind of promotional. Kind of it. It has a, I guess,、um, a sense of a sub, kind of self promotion, self elevation in it. So just don't really take that、uh, introduction、uh, too seriously. <laughs>、um, and yes,、yeah, so I study、um, Africana studies.、Uh, so my 
program is Africana Studies. So Africana Studies is not African Studies because um, African Studies, um, you know, uh, still has um, its roots in um, uh, Western colonialism, right? So when uh, all those Western empires um, had, um, you know, um, uh, positions in um, Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, the Americas. So, uh, I mean, in the case of African studies in Africa, so they wanted uh, to uh, be able to study uh, the cultures, languages, and peoples in Africa so as to be able to better manage their colonies, right? So African studies um, at its really roots um, um, really is a colonial project, right? And we can still say it is still a colonial project. African studies as a field is still grappling with the, it's um, really um, kind of entanglement with um, colonialism. Whereas yeah. Africana studies grew out of the student movements in the US in the 1960s, mm. right? So uh, African-American students wanted to have a program devoted to um, their culture, their history, their mm -hmm. um, lives, right? And, um, but African-American studies uh, or Africana studies uh, was not just, I mean, when it was created, it was not just about black people in America, right? So black people in America, when they founded that, um, you know, program, they also wanted to study black people globally, mm -hmm. right? So uh, that's why we use Africana to uh, talk about like this kind of emphasis on global blackness, right? How blackness um, is uh, manifested globally, is understood globally, right? Mm -hmm. So that's uh, what uh, Africana studies is. And uh, for me, I um, um, see myself as a historian, uh, even though I'm not uh, in the field of history, but I am a, a historian in Africana studies. Mm -hmm. um, I study African-American history, um, more precisely uh, 20th century um, African-American freedom struggle that um, includes um, what we know as the civil rights movement mm -hmm. and uh, later the black power movement. Mm -hmm. um, and my dissertation, which is uh, supposed to be the kind of new knowledge that I am uh, producing, uh, that I am adding to, uh, uh, I guess, uh, the scholarship on um, the African-American freedom struggle is about uh, black left feminism and China. And China, yeah. To understand <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to understand, you know, how black feminists wrote about China, how they engaged China, right? Mm -hmm. And how that engagement could tell us about black feminism in general, about China in the global 60s, and about black radicalism in general, right? So that's something that I'm um, trying to um, explore, and I'm still doing it. Mm, that's really cool. I, I think that it's probably safe to say that people in your position uh, who are uh, in academia, uh, who knows both China, Chinese uh, academic research very well and uh, African-American studies, Africana studies really well are, are very few. And um, particularly you being uh, uh, from China, growing up in, in China, uh, it's a rare combination. Are there more scholars like you, you would say, like 
um, or are mostly um, are the scholars uh, studying in the field mostly uh, Americans or um, are they mostly like uh, people of African heritage maybe? Um, um, yeah, I mean, um, it's um, um, definitely, um, it's natural that um, uh, black people want to study um, the history, cultures, Mm -hmm. um, ideas produced uh, by Black people, right? But uh, Africana studies is not um, just um, really a field um, yeah. that can only be studied by Black scholars, mm -hmm. right? And um, um, and the fact is that um, in Africana studies, they are scholars, they are white scholars, they are Asian scholars. There are not many people like me who was raised and born in China, but um, Still, Africana studies um, as a field, um, it, it, it offers a range of frameworks and ideas for us to understand, um, you know, um, modernity, for us to understand capitalism, for us to understand race and how race uh, intersects with gender, sexuality, class, nation, uh, ability, and all other systems of oppression or um, categories of identification. Mm. So, um, and um, yeah, so uh, I study Africana studies because I am, um, you know, deeply interested in um, learning about how people, how um, a, a, how people, how black people um, really um, uh, devised ideas and frameworks to confront uh, various systems of oppression, mm -hmm. right? And how, um, still, and how we can understand um, the history of the modern world, and and we, if we want to know really like how um, the world in which um, we we live, right, the world we inhabit, uh, came um, uh, into being, we definitely need to study Black history, right? That's something I study, mm -hmm. um, and um, I uh, really kind of entered um, Black studies via literature. So I um, was an undergrad um, at uh, uh, South Central University for Nationalities in Wuhan. And then I, um, I did a master's at Beijing Foreign Studies University. So I um, was able to study African-American literature at those universities in China. Mm -hmm. um, As part of the uh, like general English literature major, right? Yes, definitely, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and, um, and when I came to the US, I um, was for one thing, I uh, thought um, it um, would be more difficult for me to study literature because I am not uh, really any, like, I mean, I speak English, but English is not my mother tongue. So it's always difficult for me to read, you know, uh, it's more difficult for me to read uh, literature in English and also more difficult for me to understand literary theory, mm. right? So I wanted to do history but now I realize that what I do is not that different from literary studies. So, um, it's not. Uh, yeah, because my work has become more and more theoretical yeah. and I'm also doing a lot of literary stuff. So it, it's interesting that I'm um, really coming back to uh, literature, but still Africana studies is like that. It is not, um, you, can, you can say Africana studies is an interdiscipline, right? It, it, it is a, a uh, you can say it's um, it is a 
kind of a congregation of different fields traditionally defined, um, but still Africana studies is characterized by this uh, kind of intimacy of uh, various fields, right? So we use whatever frameworks, whatever fields um, that might help us to better understand uh, like a phenomenon that we study. Mm, that's that's really interesting because, well, in um, in studying history and studying literature mm -hmm. uh, in in China, we grow up uh, knowing this kind of um, this is something that my teacher at least tell me all the time is that uh, like history is um, is a form of literature that is written by um, human beings or written by say the winners or written by um, you know the uh, the uh, a certain class you know we yes. have historiography that like Han uh, Shu dating back to like 2000 years ago um, when when people started writing on paper or writing on bamboos to to preserve them. So yeah, when is is always a saying like you you can't separate literature from history. And and both fields are really, really exciting. And um and I feel like when you are talking about um you studying uh you know African studies in China, it's a bit like and then coming to US is a bit similar to uh, what Claudia Jones might have felt a little bit, your your research um, study, your your academic hero, <laughs> Claudia mm -hmm. Jones um, felt when she was a Black feminist leader in the Communist Party USA um, and when she visited China uh, back in the 60s, right, when it was still communist China. Um, I don't know whether she met with uh, Chairman Mao or met with any of the leaders back then, um, that it is like very interdisciplinary and very international exchange. So that's, that's really, really interesting. Um, can you tell us more about like who Claudia Jones is? Like we don't know that much about her. We know, you know, the Black Panther, we know, you know the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King and all that. But, um, and as I know from, from reading a little bit about her, um, she, her main like, rights movement focus was on creating an anti-imperialist coalition managed mm -hmm. by working class leadership fueled by the involvement of women. Um, can you tell us more on that and what if she visited China and if she left us any literature or uh, scholarship? Sure, and thank you so much for uh, the question. Um, so as we know, uh, you know, uh, March 8th, International Women's Day is, mm -hmm approaching, right? And uh, um, and it's really important to talk about Claudia Jones really in the context of the International Women's Day, right? So a lot of people actually don't know the origins of like, the International Women's Day, right? So the International Women's Day um, was actually um, like this idea was proposed by a socialist a feminist. Her name is uh, Clara Zetkin. Mm. Right, and Kurt Zetkin um, really wanted to um, um, develop, uh, you know, this idea of International Women's Day, and um, Clara Zetkin um, did a very important book, which uh, Claudia Jones read, and that book um, is uh, 
um, um, the surplus um, woman, right? So, so that book is about uh, socialist feminism, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Claudia Jones herself. What was it published? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so, uh, so, so the, the book, um, um, just to, uh, this is a correction. So the book is entitled Landing on the Woman Question, right? It was published, um, I think, in the 1930s. Uh, I might be wrong. Um, but um, Claudia Jones read Clara Zetkin, right? And um, then who um, is, um, who was Claudia Jones? So Claudia Jones was um, uh, an Afro-Trinidadian um, activist. So she was born in Port of Spain, Trinidad. At the time, Trinidad was still a British colony, mm -hmm. right? And she migrated to the US at the age of eight, um, and she uh, grew up in Harlem, um, mm. and she um, um, really um, um, like became involved in a lot of civil rights struggles in Harlem um, mm. during the interwar era, right? And um, so, um, so I, I think uh, you know just to talk about um, just to mention a little bit about the background of uh, Claudia Jones's upbringing. So in the interwar period. Um, the Communist Party USA played an important role, if not the leading role, in um, civil rights activism, right? Uh, so Claudia Jones was um, impressed by what the Communist Party USA did. And um, she um, uh, was particularly was particularly impressed um, with um, the CPUSA's efforts um, uh, to defense the Scottsboro, the Scottsboro Boys um, so the case of the Scots boys uh, was about uh, a group of black boys who was sentenced to death uh, by uh, uh, by supposedly because they supposedly uh, raped a white woman and later uh, it turned out they actually didn't do that and uh, and Claudia Jones uh, was very impressed with the, uh, the the efforts on the part of the Communist Party to defend uh, the young black men. Mm -hmm. So Claudia Jones um, um, joined the Communist Party and uh, became a, a leading theoretician of um, uh, the concerns of issues of uh, black working class women, right? So here we still need to talk about um, International Women's Day. So in, um, I think it was in 1951, uh, Claudia Jones gave a speech um, on the International Women's Day, which was also in the context of the Korean War. Mm. So uh, Claudia Jones- it was the 50s, uh, right? Right, yeah. So Claudia Jones um, made that speech uh, against the Korean War, uh, against American involvement in the Korean War uh, on the International Women's Day. And that speech actually uh, became um, the major evidence for her later imprisonment and deportation. Oh. She was deported so, back to UK, or? So she was deported to the UK. So mm -hmm. as we know, Claudia Jones was a member of the Communist Party and mm -hmm. uh, the early Cold War in the US was also marked by this kind of McCarthyist uh, anti-communist hysteria, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, so the thing is in the 1950s, um, you didn't really have to be a communist to uh, be called a communist, right? You didn't have to be communist uh, mm -hmm. as long as you uh, really sought civil rights um, reform, as long as you were 
agitating for social change, all the conservative forces could always paint you as a communist. So, but Claudia Jones herself was a communist. So she was uh, imprisoned because of a communist uh, conviction and um, she was deported to the UK. So um, the, the reason why she wasn't deported to her hometown in Trinidad was um, that uh, the, the British government didn't want her uh, to be back in the colony because they, they, they were afraid that she might cause trouble, quote unquote trouble, because she herself was a great political activist. So the British government was afraid that she might you know, uh, help with the decolonization movement in Trinidad, mm. right? So she uh, was deported to uh, the UK. And when she uh, got to the UK, she did not stop uh, her ac activism. Mm -hmm. So uh, she uh, decided to work with the, the Afro-Caribbean communities in London, right? So there's another history about Black people in the UK, right? So there uh, had always been Black people in the UK for sure, but there was a wave um, of um, migrants after the end of the Second World War um, uh, from the Caribbean to mm -hmm. the UK, right? So around that time, there was a labor shortage and those people in the UK were called uh, the Windrush uh, generation. The Windrush, uh, Windrush is the name of a, of a ship Right, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, so it uh, was one of those ships that uh, transported laborers from the Caribbean to the UK. And Claudia Jones uh, worked with those people in the UK, and she um, um, created a newspaper called um, uh, the Caribbean uh, Gazette and Afro, uh, the West Indian Gazette and uh, Caribbean Afro Asian News. Mm -hmm. Right, so um, and it was really like when she was in the UK that she uh, developed a um, understanding of China, right? So she went to China in 1964. Uh -huh. um, so uh, she, she was in China for, I think seven weeks and she did meet Mao Zedong and she also met uh, Sun Qingling. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and um, so the thing is uh, she died, right? Uh, not long after she came back from China. So we still didn't really know much about her trip, right. but she did, yeah. yeah, she did write a little bit about her trip in China uh, in uh, her newspaper, uh, the West Indian Gazette. Um, and um, if you want to know more about this, um, you can uh, uh, go online, uh, go to YouTube. So I actually gave a talk a few weeks ago, uh, virtually at the University of Toronto, and I talked about Claudia Jones's activities in China mm -hmm. in the context of the uh, Sino-Soviet split and the Cold War. And um, so, so there's definitely more information there. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I will definitely attach that um, onto the podcast piece uh, later. So Claudia Jones um, was in China and actually uh, as, a, as a civil rights uh, leader or as a um, as a, a communist party leader and what was China like back then uh, with you know black leaders because this is rarely known until you know in the past few years when when China and you uh, and Africa and countries 
had more and more economic uh, exchanges, right? And then there are more um, African students uh, going to like, Guangzhou, particularly uh, to study. So there's a growing um, African population in in China right now. So people will start to like gen- general, um, like the popul- population start to understand more and want to know more about, you know, wh- when were they here, the communists and they're communists and they're also um, anti-colonial and they're also black uh, people back in 20th century. Were there many of them? And I, I know that Black Panther also had, um, did they visit China as well? Like, what was it like back then with the, with the whole like environment, atmosphere? Um, and were they like really well welcomed or are they like seen as um, kind of alienated or something like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, in the 1960s, right? So China wanted to reach out to the third world and we uh, need to understand that uh, in the context of uh, uh, the uh, China-Soviet split, right? So um, as we know, uh, in the uh, 1950s, um, China um, was allied uh, with the Soviet Union. And uh, in 1959, the China-Soviet split uh, became public, right? And China needed support from the third world. Uh, so um, so there, this is really a, a very complicated history mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, uh, Sino-Soviet competition for the third world and how China really wanted to engage the third world in the um, um, uh, context of the Cold War in the Sino-Soviet split. So, uh, you know, I'm just really uh, uh, creating a simplistic version of that history. Um, and um, so, so Mao uh, was uh, uh, supportive of uh, anti-imperialist struggles globally, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and um, and Mao was uh, definitely uh, supportive of uh, the Black freedom struggle in the U.S. and also African decolonizing movements. So um, um, a lot of uh, activists went to China, um, and um, including uh, the Black Panther Party, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so the Black Panther Party actually made two trips to China, oh. and um, so they. Um, so, um, and also, um, so the, I guess the first trip was uh, led by Eldridge Cleaver, who was at the time in exile. Uh, Eldridge Cleaver um, was, a, uh, was the uh, leader of the international section of the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. And Eldridge Cleaver um, was involved in a shootout with the, the police in the US and he didn't want to be in prison. So he uh, fled uh, out of the US. And um, then he did a, a tour uh, in Asia. That uh, tour included uh, uh, Vietnam and China mm-hmm. and uh, North Korea, maybe some other uh, places. I don't remember uh, like exactly where they went. But mm-hmm. um, so that was the first trip. And the second trip was led by Huey Newton, who was uh, the Minister of Defense of the uh, Black Panther Party, yeah. right? So uh, Alger Cleaver went to China before Nixon's visit in 1972 uh, and be- before um, Henry Kissinger's visit um, 
And then um, uh, Hugh Newton went to China after Henry Kissinger's visit and after the announcement of uh, uh, Nixon's visit in China. So they, so Hugh Newton wanted to beat Nixon um, so that uh, because he wanted to be, you know, to, to be able to visit China before Nixon did. Yeah. So um, it's, yeah, so you have to really understand uh, the kind of global reach of uh, Maoism, right? So in China, we call uh, like Mao's ideas or the ideas of people, including Mao and, uh, you know, people in his generation, Mao Zedong Sisia, Mao Zedong mm -hmm. thought. But uh, globally, uh, we call uh, Mao's ideas Maoism, Mao right? So Maoism had um, really like in great importance for activists in America and in France, right? So I think many people know about, you know, the history of the 19, um, of 1968, right? So we know what happened in France, there were strikes, there were movements, what happened in the US, right? So at Columbia, for example, there was a great um, uh, student movement at Columbia. That was also part of the, the, uh, um, um, the kind of global uprising in 1968, mm -hmm. and Maoism was- At Columbia University or Columbia? Columbia University. Ah, cool. Yeah, yeah so uh, Maoism was one of those ideas that animated um, that activism. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so there are, you know, recent works about global Maoism. Mm -hmm. And um, um, so, you know, scholars have different uh, perspectives really on Maoism, but there's one thing that they cannot deny uh, which is Maoism definitely had a global reach, right? It also reached definitely Latin America. The US, at least the US um, culture at the time. Absolutely, yes. So, uh, but still, uh, we also have to understand that, uh, you know, on the one hand, um, China had, did have a um, propaganda apparatus, like international propaganda apparatus, right? So. Uh, so China did send messages, uh, you know, news articles, um, op-eds, um, information globally, right, through uh, Xinhua Shu, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or um, in uh, many radical publications in the West, um, paraphrased, translated, and circulated uh, messages uh, from China or just articles from the Renmin Rebao, mm -hmm. right? And uh, on the other hand, we do have to know that uh, those activists in the West, um, they um, also wanted to study Maoism, but that doesn't mean that they were um, trying to be, trying to really serve um, China's geopolitical uh, purposes, mm -hmm. right? So, so they, they, they sometimes um, try to understand Maoism, um, but not really um, trying to work with China, mm. right? And sometimes their understanding, actually in most cases, their understandings of Maoism were um, truncated, were not um, um, really, um, were, were actually limited, right? So they- um, They might have a shallow understanding of it just, yeah. just to impose well, it onto their own agenda, I guess. Yeah, so for example, Black Panther Party emphasized uh, Mao's ideas about um, struggle, about guerrilla warfare, but mm -hmm. they didn't um, 
you know, focus as much on Mao's ideas about party building, mm -hmm. about uh, mobilization of the masses, mm -hmm. right? Uh, about um, the objective conditions for revolution. Mm -hmm. So that's why um, 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 really in reflecting on the 1960s, uh, Frederick Jameson developed this idea of symbolic Maoism, right? So, yeah. so the, the Maoism that um, those activists in the West uh, really try to um, explore and the Maoist struggles that those people in the West try to emulate was not really the Maoism as it existed in China, hmm. right? So we do have to understand how you know, ideas are really remade or in the context of 1960 were remade and reconfigured in the process of the transnational communication circulation. Mm, that's, that's really interesting. Um, that's really cool. Um, thank you so much. So that's, that's a lot of history to absorb. Um, but are there any like, uh, literature, really interesting, be it like fiction or nonfiction or autobiographical on the like Africana or African-American experience in China or vice versa, um, or in general, I, I guess growing up in China, mostly like Chinese are taught, uh, you know, and the majority is like Chinese literature, um, on like Lu Xun and all these canons of uh, historical like uh, fiction or nonfiction, mostly written in Chinese, right? So we we rarely read any any fiction. I guess we read Things Fall Apart by um, by the very famous Nigerian author Chinua at Achebe. Mm -hmm. um, sorry if I butcher his his name, um, but we we don't know much about about that and in in Chinese literature we we rarely kind of see like African American or African characters I think um, and you your research is in this area do you know more are, are there any books you will recommend us to read sure um so um first of all um uh so this is also I guess the kind of self-promotion so I um, helped um, write the book in Chinese, um, oh, cool. which is uh, uh, published by Chinese社会科学出版社. Mm -hmm. So that book is entitled mm -hmm. uh, So I did a chapter on uh, literature. I think that's chapter four. So that's basically a brief overview of African-American, the history of African literature. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, uh, you know, um, provide some basic information um, on some authors and texts um, that are considered uh, important in um, African-American literary studies. Um, and there are actually, um, you know, um, translations of African-American literature in China Right, so um, I think every novel of, uh, by Toni Morrison is available in China, in Chinese. Yeah. Right, uh, and I think um, 
recently, um, I think James Baldwin's novel were translated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I mean, you can also have access to um, uh, Richard Wright's uh, Native Song, I think, mm-hmm. uh, Ralph Ellison's um, The Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can, um, so some of the newer works, right, you can have access to um, Edward P. Jones's uh, The Knowing World, right? So mm-hmm. I actually um, wrote my first paper uh, in Chinese in African literature about Edward P. Jones's novel, The Knowing World, mm-hmm. which is translated into Chinese mm-hmm. as Yi Zhi de Shi Jie. Right? It's, it's, it's about um, uh, a black slave owner uh, in the US, right? You can say it as a, uh, uh, well, it's not really a slave narrative, but it's uh, it's about the history, it's about the aspect of the history of slavery, right? We, mm-hmm. we not many people know about, you know, uh, slave owners who are black, right? Um, and um, I think you can also have access to some of the uh, feminist um, works, for example, um, uh, books by uh, Alice Walker, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the on the color purple. Yeah, and I, I think that's translated. Mm-hmm. And also, I think um, um, Sonia Hurston's "The Eyes of Watching God." I think that's also translated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, you you can have access to what those books in China. That's right. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is there an African studies department in any Chinese universities? Yeah, so there, there is a, um, an African studies center um, at Bei, Beida, Peking University, mm-hmm. and also at Zhejiang Shifan Daxue, Zhejiang Normal University. I think mm-hmm. it's, uh, so, the, so these institutions are no, so they, their version of African studies is more about um, China-Africa relations. So it's so mm-hmm. their purpose to serve the Chinese government. So mm-hmm. it's it's I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's just one version of African studies, mm-hmm. right? It's like American studies in China. American studies in China is mostly about China-U.S. relations, mm-hmm. whereas American studies in America is about race, gender, sexuality, mm-hmm. American culture. So it's very different. Mm-hmm. The speaking of that, I I know that you're very up to date with the Sino-Africa relationship, which you know right now it's quite different from in the '60s, uh, the the rights movement or the communist movement everywhere. Well, right now China is arguably more capitalist than than a lot of the very capitalist world uh, countries. And we've been seeing a lot of uh, cultural exchanges between China and African countries, economically, diplomatically, um, with the Belt and Road Initiative, and with and, and a lot of movies now have have uh, you know travels to Africa, um, and they're portrayed in all all different ways. Like in uh, one very very popular, I guess. Uh, movies, Zhanlang, the the uh, mm. the Wolf Warrior um, mm. movie, which is very uh, I guess nationalistic or patriotic. Uh, on they uh, 
the Chinese soldiers in Africa and they're they're defending like their uh, our own people or the factory workers in in Africa Chinese factory workers um, and all these and, and we even see that there are um, African figures or portrayals uh, of African people in China in the Trinva in the very like annual celebration of spring festival which is yeah. year which is the biggest event a TV event I guess um, of, of the whole year um, and that's you know had a lot of controversy with like blackface and all that um, can you tell us more on just in general like what what's the relationship like right now? What do you see is uh, problematic and what do you see is, uh, is the good part of, of this relationship and where do you see it going kind of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, um, China-Africa relations um, have become a very important topic um, and um, there really have been a a wide range of voices, right? So uh, some people think China is recolonizing or colonizing Africa, mm-hmm. right? And some people are very positive about uh, what might be called South-South exchanges, mm-hmm. right? So um, I guess my position is that um, China is not colonizing Africa. So whatever China is doing cannot be simply called colonialism, mm-hmm. right? You might be able to call it colonialism with Chinese characteristics, but still <laughs> you'd have to know that um, the colonial, the kind of a colonialism that quote unquote colonialism that China is doing um, is different from the uh, colonialism by the British, by the French, by the Germans, by the uh, Belgians, right? Um, so, some scholars say, uh, if you call whatever China is doing in Africa uh, colonialism, you are actually kind of whitewashing Western colonialism in Africa, mm-hmm. right? But also, you can't just you know ignore um, some of the problems um, that um, have emerged really in China-African relations, right? So uh, we could say, you know. Um, many um, critical resources in Africa are being controlled by the Chinese mm-hmm. and how China's involvement in Africa uh, has led to corruption and, 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 and um, how um, China is controlling the economies of uh, some African nations. So we do have to be um, really uh, aware of that as well. Um, so, um, and what do you for use me, to, yes. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, for you, sorry. Yeah, for me, I think um, it's important to um, really, I think, to reimagine China-Africa relations, right? Beyond a kind of, um, so I um, wrote an essay uh, about China-Africa. Mm-hmm. And my argument is that um, China-Africa relations have to be reconfigured beyond um, the kind of international relations um, 
operative in the capitalist world, mm. right? We need to think about how China-Africa relations can be revolutionary, can, you know, help Africa develop self-determination, can mm. help Africa retain um, its um, control of its critical resources and can create, you know, horizontal relationships, right? So Africana, African-American, African-China, Chinese relations should not be a hierarchical relationship, right? It should not be, you know, China being on top and Africa being um, right below. Yeah. So we need to think about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but it's, we, we do have to think about how we need to rethink that. And that's really just the one abstract argument I make. But uh, what I'm excited about China-Africa relations is uh, the kind of cultural exchanges that have been made possible, mm-hmm. right? So for example, China helped uh, build uh, a, um, a museum in Senegal, right? That museum um, really um, right now is one of the museums um, to uh, have a kind of an African vision of African culture, right? So one argument made by like those European museums that still have uh, artifacts stolen from Africa is that Africa has no capacity to preserve those things. Well, now the Asian museum, there are actually a few museums in Africa that can do that, right? So it's time for them to return those stolen objects. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I'm excited about that. And I'm also excited about the fact that more and more people are reading and studying African literatures in China. So mm-hmm. I think that's um, good because uh, when you study, um, you know, the, those great African thinkers, um, you can actually gain insights into the kind of china african relationship that actually might be revolutionary. Mm, that's that's really interesting that's really cool do you think there is um yeah i agree with you because when we're talking about capitalism and when we're talking about uh china africa relationship under the capitalism system um then there is always you know gonna be one that's exploiting the other party um so there is almost like a no way out in the in in the um, I guess the conversation or the dialogue um, uh, about this subject, um, and um, and with cultural exchanges, there is much less emphasis on on like the gaining and the losing of of rights or of uh, of things, and uh, more on just a win win situation. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about? Uh, what your idea or opinions are on the discussion of race in the China-Africa relation or the importance of of talking about racial justice um, in China with with African studies and in general, because there are more and more um, cultural exchanges, there are more Africans going to China for studying or for working or and um, Chinese people have been, uh, for most of the history, uh, not that 
diverse, I guess the population is not that diverse. Uh, it's more of a homogenous uh, population with Han Chinese uh, majority. And mm. we don't grow up seeing, you know, all, all these countries, um, except in like newspaper and in like em- embassies, I guess. Um, what do you think should be, should it, should it be like in say Chinese textbooks that, to talk about uh, race, gender, um, identities and all these things? Do you think that would be? Sure, yeah. Um, so a friend of mine, um, Huang Kun, um, recently wrote a piece uh, for Peng Pai um, in Chinese and people mm-hmm. can read it. Um, I it's think it's- yeah, it's actually a very good piece. Um, um, it's about um, uh, really the, how um, like blackness as understood in China is all also sexualized in China as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, my, um, so I'm actually writing a piece about blackness in China. So that's more a review essay. So I'm um, just trying to kind of figure out some of the questions to ask. So one question that I want to ask or um, one provocation that I want to make is um, really about how anti-blackness in China has been really shaped or inflected by different historical contexts, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there are scholars who worked really hard to show that China, the Chinese people are just as racist as um, white people, which I think is a um, is not a productive argument. So the what we need is not a comparison, right? We don't have to compare to say like who is more racist or they are just as racist as each other. What we need is uh, anti-racism, mm-hmm. right? So, so many scholars have being able to demonstrate um, that there is a tradition of anti-blackness in China, right? Dating back to like ancient China, mm-hmm. but that tradition um, really um, keeps changing, right? Because um, we do have to understand how blackness is understood in China um, in relation to you know, economic development, right? China's position in the world and also Chinese conceptions of gender, class, and empire, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in um, the nationalist period, right, this dominant, I guess, understanding of blackness is, uh, is, is about how blackness was also objection, mm-hmm. right? So Hei Nu Yu Tian Lu, which is the Chinese translation of uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, mm-hmm. right? Um, was I think the first Chinese, the first uh, American text to be translated into Chinese. And um, that text was important to many people because that text showed that how imperialism and racism, um, like the kind of um, uh, the effects of imperialism and racism in China, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Chinese, uh, uh, nationalists, Chinese intellectual at the time in nationalist China used the example of slavery to show that uh, if people don't fight imperialism in China, the Chinese people would become slaves. Mm. 
right? So, and then uh, in Mao's China, um, um, so blackness is understood, uh, what's understood as revolutionary, right? So you could mm. see all those representations of black activists in China, right? But also in China, um, according to Mao, um, the black freedom struggle in the US was part and parcel of the working class struggle, which mm. was a position um, not very popular among a lot of African-American activists, mm-hmm. right? But now in the a new liberal period, right? In the period marked by globalization, um, really the kind of global reach of capitalism, how do we understand blackness in China? That's something to think about, right? And I don't, I don't think scholars have been able to answer that question very well. And I'm trying to think about that in uh, a new piece that I'm writing about and thinking about how blackness uh, helped, uh, you know, uh, to um, justify um, the kind of global inequalities uh, that might have something to do with the Chinese capitalism. Um, and I'm trying to understand how blackness in China, right, how those African migrants in China um, and their experiences might help us understand better um, really China's involvement in global trade. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. Um, the we've been, I guess, we've also been living in, in U.S. for the past year uh, during COVID, and there are waves of. Black Lives Movement from George Floyd to toppling of statues in UK and Belgium, those with racist and colonial legacies. And a lot of Chinese people are are debating um, racism, looking Mm -hmm. at US and looking at UK and and these uh, people protesting on the street and they have all kinds of opinions. I don't know if you have anything like interesting um, that you have read or heard. Like, what uh, what uh, are there streams of um, or strands of thoughts or opinions from those comments that people make, or are there like a more conservative or more liberal look, or do you think that there like there's more just kind of a, a feeling of uh, bystanding, um, like Cairo now, kind of um, feeling in yeah. China. Um, so I um, actually also um, wrote a piece for Peng Pai Xinwen. Mm-hmm. Um, of course you did. <laughs> about um, um, the Black Lives Matter movement in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is so, a great um, thing I'll share with my audience too. Thank you very much. Um, I would say, um, you know, some people are, um, are, I guess, indignant about, you know, like the racial injustice in the US, but um, many people don't um, understand um, the kind of the root cause of the racism in the US and how racism is connected to you know, other forms of injustice, including, you know, labor exploitation, sexism, heteropatriarchy, um, 
in other um, uh, systems of oppression. Um, and, uh, but also, um, you know, the US government, like not just the US government, but also other, I guess mostly conservative Americans are um, angry that the Chinese government used the, the, the case of, uh, you know, the, the killing of uh, Breonna Taylor and jo uh, George Floyd, um, you know, as uh, examples to show like how terrible everything is in the US, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they're like, like how China is qualified to uh, really judge us, right? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I would say um, in China, we are not, we haven't seen, you know, uh, voices, like strong voices of support for uh, Black Lives Matter movement in the, U in the US, whereas in, in like uh, the UK or France, and there were uh, like solidarity protests, mm. right? <laughs> but um, I would say um, it's um, nowadays in China, people are not as conversant as um, people in Mao's era would. Um, was uh, like nationalistic or uh, sorry, not nationwide movements. Yeah, with, with like you know, I like empire, imperialism, racism, right? So I guess it's it's a question of um, education, mm -hmm. and it's also a question of um, a different context, right? It's a different context. So China um, is no longer interested in antagonizing the U.S. So we do have to understand, you know, the kind of larger geopolitical context uh, in which, you know, all those uh, movements about Black lives, where Black lives emerge. Hmm. Well, you mentioned um, sexism and Black Lives Matter uh, movement, and of course, Claudia Jones being a, a prominent Black feminist leader. Um, what do you think is um, interesting or what do you think is uh, people should know about feminism, the, the feminism movement with black movement and specifically, I guess, um, if you could point to us some leading figures that we could go read about and know more about uh, would be great. Um, and also, well, we were talking about how um, people no longer um, speak of feminism movement as in the first wave feminism, second wave feminism, because um, the, the ones that we know in growing up, I guess in US education or college education um, are mostly like white elite women who were uh, the feminists, the first wave feminists, uh, and uh, people like Simone de Beauvoir, um, you know, they, they are very much like upper class and very much uh, not really talking about race and just talking about gender, uh, men and women, you know, different like biological and all that. Um, what do you think is uh, feminism studies looking like right now in academia and outside of academia? And do you do you agree where it is going? And yeah, these are a lot of questions. <laughs> you can pick what you want to answer, but um, what do you think is uh, important or would be cool 
to incorporate into Black feminist study? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, um, the very fact of um, the kind of, um, um, I guess, conjoining of uh, feminist uh, movements and uh, anti-racist movements really shows that um, Black feminism is about, uh, it's not a one-dimensional struggle, right? It's not just about women's issues. It's about, uh, you know, how different systems of uh, oppression, including racism, sexism, right? Uh, homophobia, uh, class exploitation, ableism, um, imperialism, really um, overlap and intersect, right? So this is really the idea of intersectionality, right? So intersectionality is a major contribution of black feminism to uh, feminism in general, right? And um, the reason why we don't use, um, you know, this idea of a wave, the metaphor of waves to talk about feminism is that we talk about the first and second wave, we focused on white women's activism, right? And if you think only in the second wave, um, like women were able to talk about intersections of race, gender, and class, um, then you'll be wrong because people like Claudia June talk about the same thing in the 1940s, right? And black women have been able to talk about, you know, um, the struggle, uh, struggles that um, really fought both racism and sexism, um, really like even like in slavery, right? So that's how, um, that's why we no longer use um, like the metaphors of waves. Um, and um, there are really many great black feminist thinkers to read. Uh, I would encourage um, people um, like to read uh, people like Angela Davis, Claudia Jones for sure, and um, um, definitely um, 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 the statement by the Kamahi Collective um, and um, poets, including Audre Lorde, uh, Jim Jordan. Um, you can also read um, definitely Toni Morrison. They they mm. all talked about you know similar issues in different ways for sure. Mm. That's, thank you so much. Um, that's a lot to, to think about for uh, me and for my audience. And uh, thank you as uh, we approach the International Women's Day uh, to have you uh, share your thinking on, on these issues. Um, thank you so much. And uh, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, we'd love to have you back here next year when you finish your thesis and uh, good luck on everything uh, with school and with uh, finding a career uh, in academia or outside of academia on this subject. And Thank you very much. I'll definitely attach your essays to, to share with my audience. Great. See Thank you. you.